and welcome to Black Hole Cinema, episode 29. Once again, I'm your host for this evening, Emma Louise Platt. And in a change to our scheduled lineup, joining me this evening is Mr. Tony Black. Hello, everybody. I'm not even going to ask. No, I don't, you, roll, I don't, you roll with her. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to roll <laughs> just with feel her. <laughs> also, back again is Chris Haig. Hello, Chris. Hi. Hi. So we were supposed to have Ian Austin on this evening talking about Insidious 3, but due to unforeseen technical difficulties, he is not joining us tonight. But we do have a new section to the podcast, which is the Dead Meat section, which will be hosted by myself, which is almost like a crash course in horror. But it will. It's going to consist of some film reviews and some academic theory. And I hope you're all taking notes because there will be a test. Not really, not really. No, the will, the probably will. No, no, the will, the will, and I'll yeah, be yeah. really pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say the technical difficulties Ian had um, is that he's been possessed. Yeah, he yes. has been possessed by um, Pazu. So, yeah. if you can find an old priest, young priest, good. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be good. It yeah. would be really good. Um, he, uh... what you get when you read out of the bad book, you know what I mean? If it's written in Latin, don't fucking read it. I've got to say, Ian, why did you take the Necronomicon? Why? Why? <laughs> what the fuck? That seems to work. What the hell? That's the demon leaving him. Yeah, yeah. we saved him. Yeah. Ian, we were gonna we were gonna suggest that the reason you couldn't come on um, was because you've been possessed by the devil. So we're gonna run with that. Okay. Ooh, that that's definitely being possessed by the devil. He's still possessed. Yeah. Banish out, demon out! <laughs> Il Chiedo, la finestra! The power of Christ, Christ compels you! Il Chiedo, la finestra! <laughs> Do you realise what I'm saying? I'm saying in Italian, I believe in the window! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm genuinely learning Italian, it's all I can think of at the moment. That's an amazing Sounds We failed to, you know, save Ian, so we'll try again later, hopefully. Yes, we yeah. did try and exercise the demon, but the power of the internet was too strong for us. It was. It Maybe it's because we're all heathens. That, that's, well, you certainly are. I'm not a heathen, I'm a Capricorn. Oh, yeah, you, sir. Not, not you, not you, Chris. The, Thank she, you. She who <laughs> shall not be named. About. <laughs> oh my god, okay. I'm up for this bullshit every week. I've got my boyfriend for, I get this crap off him. <laughs> anyway, we'll also be talking about Spy, which is uh, Melissa McCarthy's new comedy which I believe Chris and Tony have both seen, which will be interesting. We're also going to be doing some box office figures and talking some movie news. It's a little bit of a new a new format, isn't it, Tony? Rejigged it a little bit. Yeah, slightly. What? <gasps> there was a voice. Back. back from the pit. This is ridiculous. My microphone's not working, so I can remove it and then start working again. Ah. <sighs> So, it seems we have successfully exercised the demons from Ian, and he's now joining us. For now. For now. I, uh, I will elaborate on what we originally said, which was um, the format change. It's a slightly slightly me pillaging from uh, other, and dare I say, better podcasts, <laughs> who organise things slightly better. Well, critics. Um, which is basically... Yeah, hello guys. Yeah, and they, they have more of a system and order to it, and I thought that, that that's a good idea. So, um, what we've done already is brilliant. But I think we can we can do a little bit more. So we're going to try and keep to a format every week. And yeah, this is the test run. So if it goes horribly wrong... Blame Emma. Took the words right out of my mouth. How did she know? It's... Because I just know the kind of crap I'm going to get off you every time I talk to you. I'm used to it now. That's true. We've known each other long enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 
before Tony gets a chance to abuse me anymore, make me really angry. Yeah. Make me reach through the internet and strangle him. Oh. Uh, watch your movie news, Tony. Come on. Impress me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, this isn't going to impress you. Nothing <laughs> Just, impresses no, me. No, no. Go on. Well, there's a couple of things. It's not. It's been a fairly quiet week, uh, to be honest. But a couple of things have caught my eye. I think the first one is the big furore, 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 whichever, however you say it, uh, about this new FIFA movie now called United Passions. Now, <laughs> ah, okay, um, yeah, snigger. Obviously, you, more than likely, you've been following FIFA um, in the news about everything, and uh, you know all the horrible corruption of Set Blatter and his crew, uh, and wonderfully they have decided that this is the perfect time to release a movie about the, movie, <laughs> the origins of FIFA um, called United Passions, which, as I was on Fail Critics a few days ago, and as we said, it sounds like a Channel 5 porn film. <laughs> uh, which is it true. really does. It does. Um, so it, uh, it has set Tim Roth as Set Blatter, a young Set Blatter. Ah. Gerard Depardieu as Jules Remay, although quite honestly, he looks more like the staple of Marshmallow Man. Um, in the trailer, <laughs> he really does. And uh, Sam Neill as um, Joel Havilland. These are all like you know founding fathers of modern football. And you know, so really, really good actors. You know, in in a film that has been described by critics uh, as cinematic excrement. Oh, um, yes. Oh. Um, the Guardian said, even without the current headlines, United Passions is a disgrace. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> It's less a movie than preposterous self-hagiography, more appropriate for Scientology or the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah, that is an so, epic. Oh, yeah. God. It's, so it's I wonder if it's going to be better or worse than that Grace of Monaco that came I, I, out last year. I, it could be worse. I mean, it, <laughs> it really could. Even the, old, even the screenwriter came out a couple of weeks ago and saying, yeah, it was an awful film. I thought complete shit. It was yeah. like Zach Penn level, but you know. I just love the fact that it's like it's come out now, though. I mean, if ever there was a mm. worse time to release a film, <laughs> oh, basically, the best time. Come on, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, it, it's possibly genius because loads of people are going to watch this film now just to, to go, "What yeah. the fuck?" Because you're basically just turning around and saying all these people were, you know, oh, legends and heroes, and oh yeah, let's ignore the FBI investigation um, and the fact they, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. So I've got to say, I think we should all watch. United Passions, even if we don't like football. I mean, I, I'm a fan of football. Yeah. I, I know, Emma, you, you, you're, well, you're in Liverpool, so you've got no choice. No. Um, yeah, it's so... Like, so if you don't pick yeah, a team. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be seen now. It's got to be seen. Just to point and laugh at it. I just want to say, this sounds much better than Series 3, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Can I make the point, though, and my lawyers have told me to say this, they always bring in my ear... This is all substantial. There is no proof that uh, <laughs> Set Blatter or any of the FIFA people are... Uh, for now. Yes, a disclaimer, yeah, for now. So, so, this is all allegedly, allegedly, allegedly Set taking bribes. So yes, um, we may we may well review United Passions on the podcast. I fucking hope we do. That'd be great fun um, in the future, because it's not actually come out everywhere yet, I think. It's come out in Serbia, though. Um, obviously, that's the first place to release anything. <laughs> Football capital of the world. Football capital yeah. of the world. Beyond that, um, like I say, it's, it's been fairly quiet. There has been 
possible like ideas about who Martin Freeman is playing in Captain America three. They're oh, saying oh. now he might be playing the uh, the United Kingdom Prime Minister, um, oh. called Edward Chase. And originally he was supposed to be. The rumor was that he was going to be Everett Ross, who's a poss- the possible big bad of Black Panther because he ties into um, he's a policy advisor for the U.S. government on Wakanda. But he, so there's two, but they reckon he's playing because Kevin Feige has confirmed he's not playing a superhero, so he's going to be somebody else. I want to imagine him as a superhero. No, no, he's too short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. So I we'll have to keep an eye on um, on Martin Freeman with that, and then the other, the I other have thing. A bit of news. Oh, oh! I just found out. Apparently, Eddie the Eagle is angry because he says ninety-seven the movie based on him that's going to come out is made up. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky he's got a fucking movie. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Did it say Ian what exactly the film was made up of? If it's ninety percent made up, I I I just looked at the headline. I didn't actually get too far. (laughs) 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 This was like. 15 minutes ago, so <laughs> oh, I briefly remembered he needed a news story, and I went straight for Eddie Eagle. Well, there were worse <laughs> places to go. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the other, like, you know, the 90% is going to be for that one. The only other last one I was going to say is that um, there was the uh, question over why Josh Trank had quit the Star Wars anthology film that he was uh, he was going to do. Um, and there was a lot of questions about how, because obviously Josh Trank is uh, the Chronicle director who, who's doing Fantastic Four, which is out in a couple of months. Yay! Um, yeah, should be interesting. And then it's a shame everyone was like, "Oh, he's he's left Star Wars." No rumours that he was being a bit of a diva, and he was, you know, okay, being... nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's basically turned around and said, "Well, the reason is because I didn't want to do anything that was too." Like I've spent two, like years developing something that's not my own, and I want to do something of my own. A bit, a bit like Joss like, Whedon, like Joss Whedon, yeah, who's turned around and gone, ah, let me do something small scale. So maybe the pressure of of doing something so enormous, and which is rumored to be about Boba Fett and Han Solo, he's just got to him, and he's gone, shit, I can't do this for my third film. Because it is a pretty steep climb from doing a really sort of low budget chronicle, which is a very good film, but doing that. And then you suddenly have got Fantastic Four, and then you do Star. I mean, Jesus Christ! Yeah, like four, four yeah. or five years, you go from that to Star Wars. I mean, yeah. So I don't care about Star Wars. Well, th- oh, we don't okay. care about you, but you know, we you, have to you do. Don't lie. Right. Right. Tell me horrible lies because you do, and you know you do. Okay. No, no, no. no. If liar, you don't liar. care about Star Wars, I don't yeah. care about you. Liar. So. Anyway, I have some film news. Okay. Oh, Mark your good. calendars. July 22nd, 2016, <gasps> Ghostbusters 3. Ooh. Now, now, <gasps> is this am... the Paul Feig one? It is. It's now, I am much, much more excited about this after watching Spy, which we'll get to in a bit. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, I'm not going to get into all the uh, neckbeards on the internet complaining about the old female cast because that's stupid. <laughs> they are stupid and they're trying to personally ruin my childhood for me. Did you just call them neckbeards? <laughs> I love that. I'm stealing that. I go on Reddit a lot, okay? It's a Reddit word. Reddit is oh, I, don't, I don't go on Reddit. That's I amazing. Do. But yeah, it's July next year and I am looking forward to it. It's got a great cast. And I know we were talking about this last week a little bit about why why can't they just rip off Ghostbusters because it's got an all-female cast to keep people happy. But then you'd go see if it was a rip-off and go, why don't they just make another Ghostbusters film? I don't yeah. care. As long as, as long as fucking Kanye West doesn't cover the theme song and it's left alone. 
Does that will make me stab someone, and that someone will probably pour Michael because I'll make Michael is going with, well, and Michael is going in costume, whether Michael likes it or not. And this <laughs> him hearing us is the first time he knows about this, but he loves me, so he will. Can I just can I just point out that Michael is Emma's boyfriend and not some sort of weird ah. imaginary friend? Who I'll she, be honest. When with you her. said Michael, I thought Myers, like the serial <laughs> killer. <laughs> so well, originally. Like, you know, originally I thought Aspel, you know, we, we all we all have our Michaels that we, we <laughs> can confirm that my boyfriend is not a serial killer to my not Michael Aspel. Yeah. Or Michael yeah. Aspel. But yeah, um, I... I don't mind if they do change the theme so not change it, but it'd be good if someone like did a decent no. cover of it, like someone like Janelle Monet maybe. Like a, get a, a female singer to no, do it. No, just leave it the fuck alone. No. <laughs> they won't though, they won't. Come no, on. It needs to, do, it needs to be upstated it needs dubstep. That's all I can say. Oh. No, no, no. I know they're not going to leave it alone, and I know like it's going to be horrible. They've already I... done it to Annie. Let's be honest. They, they danced on Annie's grave as much as I like see her. It was just like you're never fully dressed, and it's like no, stop it. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Does it smack a, smack someone's hands with a ruler? No, Jay Z, get away, shoot. Yeah, oh god, Jay Z. Yeah, Jay Z might do it with Beyonce, some sort of duet, and that'll be oh, the point when no. I just. Start screaming and ripping up no, chairs and listen, my cat. Listen, I just love the idea that Beyonce would have been like, if there's something strange, and the neighbor, you'll be like, rotten and shit. It could yeah. get worse. It could be far worse than this. It could <gasps> be. Vanilla Rice? Well, no. It no, could what, you to, say you're going to say the B word, aren't you? Nice. Yes, it could. It could. Uh, uh, what, is, what is the B word? You know what the B word is. B word, Beaver. No. It could. He could be the bad guy, you know? Don't say his name in the mirror five times or you'll show up sing shitty songs at you. Baby, baby, kill it with fire. I, don't, I love kill it with fire. I use it for everything. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, if it's, if it's anything I don't like, I'm just like, kill it. Kill it with fire. And My brother just, always yeah. says death from above. So our first review this week um, is on Insidious 3. I wish you could answer me, Mom. Mr. Atkins said he'd fail me if I was even a minute late again. My mom died a year and a half ago. It's like sometimes I can feel her around me. Mom? You have to be very careful. If you call out to one of the dead, all of them can hear you. Right, okay, um... <laughs> Basically, it's a prequel to the other two, because why not? <laughs> they clearly had a lot of backstory to fill in. So, at least from the other movies, who's an old ghost hunter, psychic, Jean Grey type woman, um, she's visited by a college woman who has mummy issues, and she wants to talk her name's Quinlan for some reason so she wants to talk to her dead mother but she finds out that some guy with a lung cancer mask on his face is tormenting her and she gets upset and Elise decides that she has to save the day and then she decides not to and then decides to save the day and then the guy with the mask does various demony things like just walks in shit, walks across various doors, smashes her chandelier, uses her laptop. That's the most evil part, when he shut her laptop so there's no light in the room, and then just walked out of the room completely. <laughs> and then, um, it's kind of like a, 
a pre uh, a nice way to get people adjusted to Ghostbusters next year because this team Ghostbusters is so awful. You know, immediately I was like Ghostbusters three or Ghostbusters whatever, the reboot will automatically be five stars compared to this. So that's nice, you know, a way to lessen the stress of watching that movie. And then stuff happens and they they go to the dark ghost dimension and it ends. Um, but on, on Twitter, Owen was saying that in the screen he was in, people were like genuinely quite scared and jumping. Did you not find any part of it scary at all? And what was the, re- the reaction from the other cinema goers towards it? There was there were some people doing a heckling it at the start, which I found quite amusing, but then after a while they stopped heckling it. So I have to assume that it was working for them. But he, right, here's the problem with movie. It's the problem with lots of horror movies nowadays. It's not scary. There's lots of loud noises, which automatically makes you go, what was that? That's not scary. The thing is, though, so scary subjective, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, well, we probably don't find it scary because we're a little bit older, but then, it, like, the 14-year-old who sneak into it will probably think it's a scariest shit walk on the face of the earth. But I do agree with, with what you're saying. Like, a lot of horror films, we were talking about this last week, the more about the, look at all this gore and shit, than actually building up that kind of sense of dread. Yeah. That's really, that you really need to get a good scare. Um, yeah. I didn't yeah. like Insidious 2 anyway. It tried to do something really clever. But, and I, it was a lot of people I know really liked it, and I was just a bit like, yeah. mm, it, it's okay. I, I mean, I, I appreciate they tried to do something different, but it was just lacking something. There was something about it that just didn't connect with me. Maybe yeah. because I hadn't seen the first one, I didn't have any sort of <laughs> feelings for it. But it's one of you don't one... have to see the first one to see the second one. Do you know what I mean? It's not important, really. Not really. No, it it kind of follows on, but it. Basically, first one has a big cliffhanger, and then second one results in like two seconds, <laughs> and then waits an hour and a half and then goes back to it. So it's like a really bad TV show. No, it's. I think the thing with these movies is I, I I really dislike them, but they are very competently made, um, directed reasonably good, uh, acting's okay. It's just I I just find them so hilariously awful, <laughs> but not in. Not in the same way, stuff like the room, which is so awfully made that you laugh. Like the guy who made first one, James Wong, he's really, really good at making movies. He just the movies he makes aren't really good, if that makes any sense. But he tries. I have high hopes for Aquaman after saying that he's really, really good. I was going to say, didn't James Wong? Didn't he do Fast and Furious Seven? Isn't that the same guy? Yeah, yeah. Justin Chen did the Four, Five, and Six. Oh no, he did. Yeah, I did loads of yeah. Fast and Furious, but um, see, I've seen the second one, and I, but well, I, I, it's weird. I saw the second one, and then I saw the first one on Film Four because the second one was on Netflix, and I quite like the second one. But like, do you do you personally think that the third one is necessary in the way that because we, we seem to be going through a lot of a lot of horror at the moment seems to be this kind of prequel trend. So there's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, again. or Friday the Thirteenth, the beginning again. again. <laughs> exactly, it's it's stuff that just gets rebooted every ten years. It's, Freddy Krueger, the high school years. Well, that's it. It's like, oh, how Freddy Krueger changed from a shy, sensitive teenager to like a child. Murderer. I don't want to believe that he was ever a good person. I just want him to be a fucking. Do you know what? I'm not going to get started. That's a whole different podcast. It's a whole different. Podcast. You are yeah. welcome to join me for that podcast. 
Yeah, so do you think it's personally necessary, Ian, or do you think it was just like a, a kind of cash grab, really, this? In the same way that a lot of the paranormal activity movies seem to be, oh, well, we can milk this for a bit more. That's I hate those movies, too. Those <laughs> this one, well, I mean, it's, it's written and directed by direct last two, so at least I'm assuming there's some intent for it to be good. The fact it's mm. not good is not surprising, considering... Insidious. I know you like Insidious Part 2 and that's fantastic, but from my perspective <laughs> it was gone awful to watch. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, again, confidently made. I'm not criticising direction or visuals or anything like that. It's just everything left over is terrible. But, um, with this one, the problem is it's half Elise's movie, because she's obviously was a Ghostbuster and then for various reasons, like Kenny Rogers, her husband dying, gave up. And it's half the movie of this Quinlan character, so it's two movies combined, and they keep jumping lead character to lead character every five minutes, and so you don't get to actually know either of them properly. So, um... Okay. I don't think it's a cash grab. I mean, you'll make a decent amount of money anyway, so, but I think there was some intent for it to be good. I just don't think it's succeeded at all. <laughs> okay. So that's two thumbs down from Ian. Save your money, folks. <laughs> but so, I, but I would say if you want to, if you if you like the other two, you'll enjoy this one because it's not as good, but it's right. It's the same sort of movie. But if you want to see something where you will laugh because you really like watching bad horror movies, you also enjoy it. So. <laughs> it's two thumbs up if you like bad horror movies and two thumbs up if you like the other two but if you didn't like don't like bad horror movies and you didn't like the other two movies it's basically 17 thumbs down when the pain finally kills you and on that note we're going to move on to the uk box office figures yes the box office figures um we haven't done this for a few weeks so um i we're going to make an attempt to to keep up with this because it's a good way of measuring you know what's hot and what's not in the uk and usually it's a it's a it's it's a similar story as to the us quite often so uh, this is as of last weekend um uh, the weekend of the uh, 29th to the 31st of may at number 10, we have Danny Collins, which is the uh, new film from uh, Al Cappuccino. Um, well, sorry, as, as, as my friend Adam always used to call him, uh, Al Cappuccino. Al Pacino, which uh, so far has made 200... Not much. <laughs> <laughs> In its first week, made um, 225,000 um, at the box office. So, oh, yeah, not, not that much, really. So, possibly because Al Pacino great actor but he's not really a box office draw um, anymore so and it was a fairly low key film in at number 9 is 2x2 uh, two two. I have no idea what that is what um, the fuck oh, oh. is that cartoon <laughs> oh it's the Noah's Ark cartoon is it oh well, well oh, that would make sense I think yeah. it makes sense when you say it like that whoa 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 back up what <laughs> I've never heard of this movie 
I only heard about it because I was on Word and Nerd, uh, not last Friday, Friday before, and um, it was mentioned, and I had to look it up, and I'm like, oh, wow, they managed to turn a scary biblical story into a fun, you know, kind of thing. But it's one of these really cheap, like, knockoff ones. You know, like... Um, it's it's, it's oh, made more you... than Danny Collins. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, because what? kids like bright colours, they'll watch anything. We should this send that to Al Pacino, let him know that his move makes less money than a low-budget knockoff kids version of Noah's Ark. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that this must have climbed because it's been on. Um, it's been on release five weeks, and uh, it's made two million, which isn't a massive amount, but it must have climbed into the top ten because. Oh my God. Um, so that's <laughs> that's interesting. Maybe it coincided with the half term week, and more little kids came off, came up and watched it. Who knows? Yeah, but that's little trips. One for the little kids that they haven't let go. At number eight is Home, which is the the animated cartoon. That's the animated film that's been in for eleven weeks and has made twenty four wow. million. And that's yeah, that's done very very well, and it's still in the top ten. So again, school holidays probably oh. um, contributed to that. Um, I hope it's good. Two by two might replace it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this rate. And number seven, um, and a new entry is Man Up, the Simon Pegg film we really, we reviewed last week, uh, which only made five hundred twenty-eight thousand. Um, and chances are that's not going to climb very far. I think. Possibly, the possibly the reason for that is that. Uh, it wasn't ne- hasn't necessarily been released in optimum sort of romantic comedy season, and mm. I don't think anyone in the UK knows who Lake Bell is. So you know they'll know who Simon Pegg is, but I, I think they probably go, "Who's she? She's not a well known. She's not a well known actress." That could be a factor because I think a film like that will probably rely on the star power. Um, yeah. Really. Um, I've got Kieran s- Knight to do it. Yeah, yeah, if you've got someone more recognisable. Um, at number six is Poltergeist um, in uh, in its second God. week. Um, <laughs> at, it's, made, it's made three million. Um, by the sound of it, three million more than it should have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. But Jesus. yeah, but there you go. We we uh, pretty much destroyed that last week. Um, quite <laughs> rightly, by the sound of it. Um, at, num- at number five. Still hanging in there at its sixth week is Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. You obviously know I didn't like the original one. I did watch this one. I got incredibly drunk, and I did think it was genuinely really good. So, because it is. I, I hate first one, but I thought this one was really good. So you know, Do you know, weirdly, I'm the other way around. I really loved the first one, and this one was good, but I it's not a. It, there's just too much going on for me. Yeah, I can't. yeah That's I, true. I'm the same it, as you, Chris. It, it did feel like a season for TV show jammed into two and a half hours, but yeah. Mm. But Chris, the important question is: Can it fight off two by two for next week? <laughs> that's the movie you just I'm, don't know, digger. You just, I mean, they are marching two by two, so it's just a slow like advancement. Right, <laughs> can the Avengers kill a cute elephant? They yeah. can't. So. <laughs> Who knows? But it's made ne- nearly fifty million um, at the UK box office, which is a hell of a lot of money. Um, so yeah, for the UK, so that's brilliant. You know, all power to it. In at four in its second week uh, is Tomorrowland, um, which has made four million. Um, now I I talked about Tomorrowland on Fail Critics last week. I had my issues with Tomorrowland. I thought it was I thought it was. A nice film, and I thought it had a really good message, but it suffered from Damon Lindelof 
ending scene. Um, yeah. And uh, it it had a much stronger first half than the second half. And as I said on that on the other podcast, I don't know who that film's for because yeah. it feels mm. like a retro sort of seventies Disney at live action that is too boring for little kids, <laughs> not edgy enough for older kids, yeah. adults won't enjoy it because it doesn't have the same charm George Clooney's not enough of it to be the big star there's a lot of things it doesn't do but it's got some really really cool ideas but there's no audience for this and that's one of the reasons why which is a horrible thing to say but in many ways it's true it because it's an original thing but it's it's going to become one of those little cult films that people find yeah Yeah. um, because it's done nothing at the box office and in fact they cancelled Tron 3 Partly off the back of Tomorrowland sinking. Um, apparently. Well, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> but... I, I'll be honest, I really Tomorrowland like the look of Tomorrowland. Yeah. See, I really like the look of Tomorrowland, and it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh, it looks really nice, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think you're right about the audience, because that, for me, is what is I don't like about Super 8, which is a bit controversial, that I could not get into Super 8 because I couldn't figure out who it was for. Yeah. It's no, a bit I, like a nostalgia I, I... trip. I, I do agree with you there. I, I watched Super 8 and I just thought, like, this isn't aimed at me because I'm bored, but it's not aimed at kids today because they would be bored too. So yeah. There is, so there is definitely similar DNA there, definitely, between the two. Mm. I would argue Super 8's the better film, but they're both yeah. films that are about ideas and yeah. that retro, like you say, that retro nostalgia thing more than they are about actually being a complete package in different ways but there's the visually Tomorrowland is really good when it's you know it's got some fantastic yeah. Brad Bird is great you know I'll take nothing away mm. from him it's not really his fault that this doesn't fully work and it's not bad at all it really isn't bad at all it's just not as amazing as it could or should or we thought it would be okay. um, it's yeah. definitely worth watching okay. um, mm. but at number three um, is right now my film of the year um, and it will definitely be in my top ten, without a shadow of a doubt, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Three weeks yes. in, yeah. yeah, yes, three weeks in uh, has made thirteen million, which is great. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. I mean, there, there is there is no oh. other words for it. It is. No, I, I, I seriously have to be honest. For me, that's the best action movie of last twenty years. I mean, maybe The Matrix, maybe, but. Just the pure quality, that's so far beyond yeah. anything I've seen in decades. I think, I think it's up there, De- I would agree, it's definitely <laughs> one of the best in it a is long, my, long time. It I is agree. one of my favourite ever films. Amazing. I love it so much. It's, and see, we're all in complete agreement on that. Like, that says it all. There's no criticisms I can make for that movie at, even slightly. Well, I think but, in, in, in film review terms, it, it, the only other film that I've seen this year get such glowing universal praise yeah. was Whiplash. You know, that that's the only other film that I kept seeing get, seeing get five stars, four and a half stars yeah. everywhere. Mad Max is just... I've barely seen a review that's under four stars for Mad Max in terms of... And, and quite rightly, because it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've seen one negative review. I've seen one negative review, and even that went, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah. Yeah, there you I'm go. Like, why? Why be petty? <laughs> just, just, just love it. Mad Max wants you to love this it. Movie, but visually, it's really good. Yeah, oh. that's the sort of review every director wants to have. And, it, and, it, and it, again, it holds. It holds 
like credence to my to my theory that I'm continuing to develop in that George Miller is one of the great underrated film directors mm. of our time. Yes, um, I'm, and I'm on board with that. And he will it's get like, much I, I, more. You know. Yeah, it's, it's like I, I don't like Happy Feet particularly, but I do not think in any stretch it's a bad movie. I don't like yeah. it, but I think in terms of the effort put into it, even I can admit it's really really way constructed movie and I don't say that about movies I don't like very often so. but that's what's great about him in that you know the, the same man who does Mad Max Fury Road did Happy Feet I mean yeah. it, and, it, babe. and Babe what and then, and then there was of course and it's been there's been a lot of concept art leak for this lately he was going to do Justice League you know oh, a, like 10 years ago that. I mean yeah <laughs> you know he could flip from incredible things and it's um it's just, I'm just really glad that a film he spent literally about 25 years trying to make turned out to be so good. Yeah. It's it's delightful, and I really hope we get, you know, yeah. a few sequels which apparently are on the drawing board. So, um, um, yeah, yeah. The, the other thing that is, someone brought this up. They said Hollywood's very ageist, but he's 17. He made this movie. And it's better than most that movies made yeah. by. It participates like you know. For, so I'm just throwing up names like Zack Snyder. You can't make a good action movie. Zack Snyder. Five. Yeah. Or uh, and also the actor was female, and they all said, "Oh, female, they can't do it." And it's sort of like, "Well, she's made the best action action movie the last twenty years." Mm. So mm. You know, Hollywood sexism and ageism is bullshit. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's give Zack Snyder more movies. He'll eventually yeah. make one that's not shit. Yeah. Mm. Maybe one day. Normally, I would begrudge number two, um, be, be, be beating um, Mad Max. But in this case, I want to make an exception because even though this isn't a better film, I thoroughly enjoy this. And number two in its third week is Pitch Perfect Two at fourteen million. It's made. Now, I'm going to unashamedly, you know, admit I love Pitch Perfect, and and same. Pitch Perfect Two is not. As good a film as the first one, but it was bloody good fun. So I I freely admit that I'm really glad that that's at number two and it's doing so well because it's you know it, it's one of those things that I'm just glad it exists. You know, I really it's, it's, it's counter program, so it's not it's, it is competition for mathematics but at the same time. It's not so like, yeah. It's yeah. not like anyone who was see mathematics is sort of like Pitch Perfect two. Oh wow! I'll go see that instead. Yeah. Because mm. If there are people like that, fuck them, and you know they don't matter. So. <laughs> precisely, precisely. But no, number one, leading leading the charge um, is San Andreas. Uh, its first week made nearly five million. I mean, that was always going to do well. It's The Rock. Yeah. It's yeah. The Rock versus an earthquake. Yeah. And even though it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though it's not very good, you know, the amount of times Emma's been to see it now means that it's gonna break box office records. <laughs> I thought it was good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was it was nice. The rocks are very likable, so he kind of grounds the film a lot and it has some okay characters and all the destructions are very nice. That would be most true detectives, so there you go. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the box office top ten. We'll see how it looks um, next week, or possibly the week after. We'll see. Awesome. So after that testosterone fueled section there by the boys, which I didn't say <laughs> where, Joran. You really, you're really pissed off. <laughs> I'm not really. I'm just sitting here, just nodding, just going. Mm-hmm. But Emma, what's your, opinion, what's your opinion on Mad Max? I haven't seen it. 
Oh, you not need be- to. Not because I uh, don't want to, it's just because mediocre. I am extremely poor, so I only usually go see the films that I have to go see for this, because I can't afford to go see anything else. <laughs> but it's something that I want to go see. Um, and I really liked Pitch Perfect 1, but I haven't seen Pitch Perfect 2. Well, that's that. So, our final review for today is comedy slash action thriller Spy starring Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> When I quit teaching and joined the CIA, I thought I was going to be this amazing spy, and I'm still just the same boring person I was. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Just blend in. Let somebody else win. Making a wave isn't always brave. Brilliant. Give up on your dreams, Susan. Just to write that in my lunchbox. We've intercepted chatter that Rayana Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected, but it can't be any of you. Need someone invisible. I'll do it. Uh, okay. Thanks, lunch lady. I'm serious. Don't let me down, Cooper. I will not. I will let you up. Stop talking. I will let you up. Okay, Spy is the latest effort from uh, comedy director Paul Feig and leading lady Melissa McCarthy. Previously, they've worked together on Bridesmaids and The Heat. Uh, <laughs> Spy takes place in the CIA and uh, concerns itself with Susan Cooper, who is the top CIA analyst and works closely with one of its uh, top international assets and spies, Bradley Fine, played by Jude Law. However, basically shit goes down and everyone's uh, CIA identities are exposed, meaning Susan is the only one who can go into the field as she's technically trained as an agent. Um, She has to go in to retrieve the identities and stop a nuclear warhead from being sold by an arms dealer played by Rose Byrne. And there are explosions and all kinds of fun comedy shit. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. Okay. No, I really think it's free for everyone, and you're not spoiling a single thing. <laughs> well, because it's... I, I really enjoyed this, and I don't want it to be one of those things where people don't see it, because I've basically gone, oh, this happens, oh, this happens. The interesting thing about Spy is that it's not quite what you probably think it's going to be, I think. It is and it isn't. Yeah, it's, um, I know that. It's... it's you, you know, on the face of it, it is that traditional kind of Melissa McCarthy comedy in that, you know, she's being quite brassy and, and sarky and jokey and making a bit of a tit of herself. But at the same time, it's it's actually quite a competent action movie in, in its own right. And it's, it, I mean, it, it's beautifully a spoof. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this as well. I, I really did. I laughed a hell of a lot. It is a spoof. There's no two ways about it. It maybe wants to be slightly more than a spoof at times, but it's not. It is It is a spoof in many, but not a specific spoof. It's more a spoof of the spy genre with a strong yeah. feminist like through line, as you'd expect from Paul Feig. Um, from, you know, and it's very much, you know, of the, cut from the same cloth as Bridesmaids. Um, you know, it's got Rose Byrne in it as well, who again is playing a bitch and she's great. Um, she plays a bitch wonderfully well. But there is there is one genius revelation point about Spy, and it's not Melissa McCarthy. I think it's I know not where you're going to go with this. You know where I'm going with this. It's not Rose I do. Byrne. It's not Jude Law, who's very good as well as like a Bond yeah. style, you know, secret agent or Miranda. You know, who's Miranda? Yeah. So you take or leave her. Yeah. No, the genius point of Spy. It's the state. It's the state because the state. So good. Well, he steals the film. 
He's not in that yeah. much of it, but when he is, he's brilliant because he basically plays the most intense spy ever, right? Who yeah. he's really shit at his job, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and he basically, he's really, he's like this typical Statham. He's like, he's talking like this all the time, and he's really getting pissed off with Melissa McCarthy because she, he's like, you're gonna fuck this up, you're gonna fuck up my yeah. mission, right? This, and he's out on a limb. He's like, he's like, you know, a few, he, he, he's told his bosses to fuck himself he's going to sort this out himself and he's out there and then he'll say I've I've been places you you wouldn't even imagine and she's like okay and he's like I jumped off a building on fire in a car not the car on fire I was on fire I was on fire (laughs) and he just there's this whole scene where he basically lists about ten things he's done one of them my favourite one was um, my arm was severed and I put it back on with my yeah. other arm, right? <laughs> Brilliant. He's just yeah. he's he, he is a total joy. Oh, he is, God. because he brilliantly knows how to send himself up. Mm. Because he'll, he'll do that, and he'll talk about how intense and important his mission is, and he'll bump into a door. It's it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. You know, he'll then just go bump into, <laughs> bump into a waiter or something. It's, yeah, he's he's the high point in a, in a very, very funny film, actually. Yeah. Um, I would take it. some doing. Yeah, um, it is. It that's is. not difficult, let's be honest. Well, I like well, Bridesmaids. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Bridesmaids fan, but I think this quote leans kind of closer to The Heat, actually, because The Heat took what was essentially like a lethal weapon and did it with Sandra Bullock, who is the rare actress who can do really good dramatic and comedic. And then you put Melissa mm, McCarthy yeah. in it, and it was um, awesome. But I, I mean... Because I love seeing more women in cooler roles and that sort of thing, and it was kind of great to see the the kind of array of female characters out there. Because it wasn't just Susan kind of being the only one there. Because you did have the amazing Rose Byrne as this brilliant kind of ultra selfish super bitch who has um, my my fa- my favorite line is on the plane, and that it's in all the clips and everything, and she's just going. Mrs. McCarthy says something like, uh, "Well, you may you may never be as wise as an owl, but you'll always be a hoot to me." But it's a shit, <laughs> you know, like a little. Bit. And then uh, Rosebud just very dead deadpanly smiles and just goes, "What a stupid fucking toast! You're delightful." And I'm like, "Yes, yeah," because <laughs> they have the best chemistry in the whole thing. But it's like, I mean, you know, I I personally quite. I like Miranda Hart, and I think, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, she's nice, that sort of thing. There'll be people who can't stand her or whatever, but she actually acquits herself quite well in this, even though she is kind of playing to type as, like, oh, clumsy British awkwardness, and then you've got, you've got, like, Marina Backer in, in it, who's in it for a couple of scenes, mm. and she's brilliant, and Alison Janney, and you've got all yeah. these brilliant yeah, wi- women doing fantastic roles, and it's definitely. amazing. There's some really strong women female actresses in this playing small but you know quite small but good good parts like you say Alison Janney is the yeah. best she's she's like a female M um, from the Bond films yes. um, and she's the big boss of the CIA and then you've got like you say Marina Baccarin who's, who's the the annoyingly like nice hot female agent who's brilliant at everything yeah. and who's really sexy and everyone loves that and she'll come up to like Miss McCarthy and Miranda Hart and go oh hi how are you oh yeah like this and she's being really nice and, like, Mary just, Sue yeah and they're yeah and they're like going yeah hi like this and they're thinking you fucking hate you <laughs> it's and it's good yeah and it's <laughs> it, it does have that and it makes course, you laugh I'll be of course be disappointed now if they don't speak like that in the movie 
<laughs> well, yeah, don't be yeah. gutted. Because, that's, that's great yeah. dialogue right there. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> I've pillaged it all. I'm, I'm really impressed by the action in this. Mm. Which is strange because it is, it's not quite as good as Bond or Born or that sort of thing. But it's not far off. I mean, there are some proper serious Dower Faced action movies that are not as good as this. Well, there was, and I'm there was um, you, no, you're right. There was an interview with, with um, Paul Feig I read, and he basically said that one of the big things they decided at the beginning of this was that they wanted it to work on its own merits as an actual action thriller. Mm. Um, and it's, there's not, it's not really a thriller. It's very much an action comedy, but it, the action is, is proper. You know, it is, you know, proper choreographed fight scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's quite often there's a gag involved with them, but it actually works in the context of some quite born style yeah. stylistics. And it's, it's quite well done. You know, it is quite well done, um, in the, in the comedy context of it all, when it could have been a bit lazy and easy to just be cheap with. I, I was quite impressed with that. I think the only things I would say against Spies, that it is a bit too long. Um, I think it could have yeah. lost about 10, 15 minutes and, you know, not really missed a step. There, there's, there's, the, there's a really sort of shoe... Miranda is a bit shoehorned in quite often. You could have lost Miranda and not lost anything from this film, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole extra little, tiny little subplot with 50 Cent as well, which was... A bit of a flat joke. <laughs> we didn't. It was, you know, um, I liked it. I thought it was, it was quite funny. But then I just like the idea of this, you know, you know, very uh, awkward British woman just being like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and tackle a rapper and just." Yeah, she just tackled Fifty Cent on stage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she, which I love. I love that so much. Just to see him flying, just this big tough guy, just getting taken down, was like. <laughs> Yeah, but they extend that gag slightly too much. But it, it, it's little yeah. things. It's it's not a big thing. And it, I suppose the fact that the plot does a little bit cross, double cross, double cross, double cross, to the mm. point at the end you're a bit like, uh, all right, just settle down a bit, okay? You don't need to be doing all this, you know. Just but but those are those are niggles. I think I think on the whole it's very it's very proficient. It's the funniest thing I think I've seen Melissa McCarthy in ever. Quite honestly, um, yes. I'll agree you know, with that. Yeah. I'm not particularly a big fan of hers, I'll be honest, but it's probably because I keep seeing her in shit that's not very well written. Yeah. And this is, this is, oh, it's God. not that she's a bad performer, it's that she's in some shit. Yeah. And this is actually. Yes. Identity Feast. Oh, that God, was yeah. Horrible. Oh, that, Tammy. I mean, I, 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 Tammy was like, I, I don't like Bridesmaids, but I think, you know, I, I do agree that at least, like, she, her role in that makes sense and it was decently written. It's just, not really for me, but Identity Thief was... was I'd say it's one of the worst things I've ever seen, but I did see Insidious Part 3 today, so... (laughs) No, Identity Thief is tripe. It is is tripe of the highest order. And it's, you know... um, I haven't seen Tammy yet, or The Heat, precisely because I can't be arsed, you know, really. The Heat's really good. The Heat is quite good. Well, I like Sandra Bullock, so I probably will watch The Heat. And I dare say I will watch watch Tammy, because I watch... No, I watch anything, don't I? I watch crap all the time. (laughs) So I'm bound to watch it at some point, so I can tell people not to. This is the curse of being me. Um, This place is on Netflix. Yeah. But in this case, it's... it's, In this case, it's it's without doubt one, in my opinion, one of her better films. And it's got Mm. a really good cast. It's well-directed. It's well-written. And it's funny. I mean, it's very funny. So what more do you want, really? Exactly. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I don't really go out and see comedies as daft as that sounds. I'm much more of a I'll go see action, I'll go occasionally see horror, that sort of thing. I don't really go out and see comedy films, but since this was announced last year, 
I was like, oh, okay, this sounds good. And then they kept adding cast to it. I was like, oh, my God, it's Melissa McCarthy and Rose Byrne and, you know, Jude Law and Jason Statham. And I was thinking, oh, my God, all these great actors. And it's one of those kind of stars align kind of things where you're just like, holy shit, they've managed to get these great casts with a great script, great director, and it's a really good film. I mean, it might be the best comedy out this year. It might be. I mean, it's certainly the most fun I've had in a proper sort of comedy film in a while. So I, th- I think it's I, going to be one of the better comedies of yeah of 2015. Yeah, I would agree. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Which you, which you, which is pleasant surprise to be quite honest. Yes. So basically, uh, so, Chris mean, won this week in terms of movies because I hated <laughs> what I saw and he loved what he saw. So you know, yeah, okay. Helped. I have seen the I worst get my movie of the year. Back. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This week, I'm introducing a semi-recurrent section called Dead Meat, which, as I said before, is going to be almost a crash course on the horror genre. Why the horror genre? Because I like it. That's why. And you're going to like it too by the time I'm finished. <laughs> this week, um, it's it's an, basically an introduction to the genre and asking why horror, but without sounding pretentious and up my own arse. Oh, the very idea. <laughs> the very it's idea. the horror film in itself. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start I'm gonna start with a quote as well. Get on this. This is from the horror film by Rick Warland. And it's basically just talking about the about horror and how it's always been part of our culture so it goes horror is universal it has appeared in a variety of forms and media in most every human culture in traditional cultures demons monsters evil spirits or the devil himself were imminent and deeply feared at the end of the 19th century the new motion picture medium joined the ongoing tradition of frightening narratives that run through mythology painting literature popular theater and other cultural forms so you know if you look like even look back at like the Bible, the Bible's full of demons, and you know it, mm. it's always been part of us. It's part of human nature to be scared, and the horror film and horror in any form allows us to safely explore what I think is deeply ingrained in us as humans, and that's the fear of unknown. And alongside that is the fear of death, because everyone has their own beliefs about what happens when you die, but no one really knows, and that's I think as, that's scary to us because it's beyond our control. So we like to try and explore these safely in any way we can. And, you know, back, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, people didn't have a way of, you know, we talk about nightmares now and there's always, well, that's your brain trying to tell you something. Back then, it it didn't mean the same thing. Illness wasn't the same. You know, epilepsy wasn't the same. The only logical explanation these people come up with was it's a demon. It's it's God's divine retribution. And that's really carried on, I think. And we just have a different way of of talking about that now. The horror film as well, is reflective of social anxieties. So, good examples are, if you look at the 1950s, it wasn't really the horror film that was popular, it was kind of science fiction. So, in The Day the Earth Stood Still, Klaatu isn't an alien. Klaatu is a communist, because that's what was scary. The Red Invasion was really scary to 1950s America, and you had Joseph McCarthy, who was in charge of the House of Un-American, Un-American Activities Committee, where they were dragging people in off the streets, convinced that they were communists, that there was an a underlying threat in America, ready to take over, and you know, he ruined people's lives, but the fear was there. 
it wasn't so much that the aliens are going to come from the sky. It was your neighbor could be one of them. Your children could be one mm. of them. And they look like everyone else. It was also, you know, it was after the war. It was after Hiroshima. It was after the nuclear bomb. So that's where you get your whole, like, the creature of the Black Lagoon from and all that kind of thing. It was what is, what's going on? Science has gone too far. Science is meddling with the human condition now. And what is the, what's the reaction to that going to be? So that's how it was explored back then. Also, if you look at the 1980s body films, body horror films, like the flying stuff, this is when, we were really learning about AIDS and what it did, and it's a horrific disease. And, you know, a way to explore that was also through horror. You talk about the thing, and, you know, the thing is about this invasion, this really personal violation of your, not just your soul, but your flesh and your blood, and you can't control it, and you don't just die. You know, you suddenly you've got these open, gaping maws on your arm, you know, there's fucking legs coming out of you, and there's nothing you can do, and it's painful, and it's uncontrollable. And... This is, you know, like I said, it's it's how we explore our fears th- through this medium. When we look back at the the early horror films, you know, from the very first horror films, I believe is by George Melies, and it was called The House of the Devil or the House, it was something like that, or the Old Dark House, and it was really short, and you know, it was the devil and bats and that kind of thing. But then we had the German expressionism films, we had Nosferatu and the do- um, Cabinet of Doctor Calgary. And then, you know, you go into your 1930s and you've got the, you know, the cat people and white zombie. And I worked with a zombie and that kind of thing. And during the 1940s, there weren't many horror films because obviously the war was going on and the horror you could see every day going on around you. Nothing was going to compare to that. So they weren't, they weren't very popular. 1950s, like I said, with the science fiction. And then in 1968, the Motion, Motion Picture Association of America really, really eased up on their restrictions and in some ways, I believe that really gave birth to the the modern horror film. And to me, personally, and people can argue with me all about this if, if they were like, I'm open to discussion on this, but the modern horror film for me was born in 1968 because we had Rosemary's Baby and we had George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead, for me, it's one of those, you know, almost singular moments in the genre because... There'd been, there'd been zombie films before, but the zombie films before were really, you know, it was about voodoo and black magic, and it was all set in, like, Jamaica and, you know, Barbados and Bahamas. This brought horror right to your front door, and it introduced the idea that zombies feasted on human flesh, and that is, I think, really, really important. If you look at all our zombie films now, there's not, there's not you know, is there many that have this kind of bewitching element to them? Maybe Wreck? Because it's a demonic possession, but the people, the zombies in Rex still feast on human flesh. So that's that's really important. And you know, I think a lot of people, if you ask them what their favorite horror film is, it's almost certainly going to be made after 1968, because there, you know, there was a lot less restrictions. You could show more things, but it didn't necessarily mean that you have to. I mean, a lot of people playing about modern day horror films, saying that they're just, it's all about the gore. And, you know, back then there was more like you had to be clever about what you were showing. You had to be clever how you were scaring people because you couldn't show certain things, you know. And if you think about Rosemary's Baby, I know um, my mum, it was one of the very first horror films I watched all the way through. And my mum was convinced that at the end you saw the devil baby's face and stuff. And you don't. And it's that power of suggestion. People really, really believe that they saw this demon child and you don't. And it's all about the power of suggestion. So, yeah, like I said, we are allowed to explore certain things through horror films. I have another quote here because I'm just that goddamn prepared from horror and the cultural moment. And it's talking about the universal anxieties and the grand narratives of horror. 
and it lists them as social social alienation, the collapse of the social and spiritual order, a deep crisis of ev- evolutionary identity, the overt articulation of humankind's innermost imperatives, and the need to express the implication of human existence in an appropriate aesthetic. So, it, you know, like I said, it's it's all about exploring in a safe way. I mean, if you one of the things I talked about in one of my in my dissertation was about the zombie film. We all have those times when we think I could kill my boss, I could kill so and so, and you know, no sane fucking person is going to do that. But you know, if your boss was a zombie, then not only would you be able to kill your boss, but you'd kind of be a hero for doing it. You know what I mean? It's 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 good and it's fun and it's almost like why do we like being scared? What is it? It's it's about the adrenaline. It, it you know, it's it's that kind of. It's a safety thing. Why do people fucking jump out of planes? It's to get your heart racing. It's part of what makes us feel alive. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, we, as humans, we, it's, you can't look away, can you? And this really feeds into scopophilia, which is the visual pleasure that you get from looking. There's a whole theory about male gaze and stuff like that, which I'll go into in a later edition of Dead Meat, if anyone really wants to hear about it, and how the camera p- positions the audience as male. So it will linger on the female form as, as we're all male. Mm. And this is where the whole scopophilia thing comes into. It's erotic. And, you know, you hear about that a lot in, like, the whole torture porn genre and things like that. So that kind of that kind of pleasure of looking really feeds into horror, especially the last couple of decades where we're almost positioned as the bad guy sometimes. And it's mm, kind of secretive yeah. and if you think about like you know scream and things halloween especially the opening shot to halloween when you are you're michael myers and you're creeping up to the house and you're looking in the windows and you can see your sister having sex and you're grabbing the knife and you're going up the stairs it wants us to feel that and that's really important it wants you to it wants you to put it puts you right there it's really important that shot there's only one cut in that opening shot of halloween as well um which is important it's when the mask goes black for a little bit that's when the cut happens it's it's just two long continuous shots and it it's just horrors and i've said this so many times horror is so subjective it's what you find scary so it's it's not not every horror film is going to be universally successful because not everything's not everything is scary to everyone else and i've said this many many times before 10, 15 years ago, what really scared me was getting stabbed by some scally on the street with a knife. Now it's not. Now it's losing my son. So those types of films where we really, you're put in someone's shoes where you have experienced a loss, that lack of control really scares me that I could lose my son and I can't control that and then I would have to live the rest of my life without him. That is terrifying to me. But of course, to someone without a child, that necessarily won't be the scariest thing. They might be scared of fucking, you know, demon clowns crawling out of fucking sewers, which is also fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's sub- true. It, yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's oh, subjective, man. and it's subjective, but it's also universal mm. because everyone's fucking scared of something, and everyone's gonna die, and none of us control it. And this is like it's a safe space. And it's always been around, and it's always going to be around. Whether fucking cinema could suddenly die out in a hundred years, and in a thousand years, you're still going to have people huddled around a campfire telling you the ghost stories because we want to be scared. It's part of our human condition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's like catharsis, and it um, helps channel all of the dark kind of shadows of our mind that we can't process, or we don't want to process, or we don't want to see. Um, you know, you were talking about the male gaze. Yeah. Uh, have you read Men, Women and Chainsaw? By Carol J. Clover? 
Yes. I have indeed. I have. Oh, I read... love that book. Um, okay, I'm not going to go too much into it, but I do yeah. have a problem with her essay, Her Body Himself, especially okay. the last couple of years. Um, I can, like I said, I can always talk about it in a future future mm. podcast if anyone's yeah. interested in hearing it. I, Absolutely. I understand the point she's trying to make, and I understand her basis. And my problem is, is that, okay, just dumb it down a lot. She basically says, this is Laurie Strode, and Laurie Strode survives Halloween because of X, Y, and Z, because she's, 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 you know, handy, and she's, she's virginal, and she's bookish, and she's quiet. Laurie Strode yeah. might survive Halloween. She does not fucking save herself. Sam Loomis saves Laurie Strode, and yeah. then she makes this big point about it, and at the end she goes, but it doesn't matter that Laurie doesn't save herself, it matters that she tries, and I'm like, I kind of feel like she spent a lot of time in that article making the point that it was really important that these women saved themselves, but then she defeats that point because yeah. she acknowledges that Laurie did not save herself. So a man no. came along, and not just a man, a man who's a doctor, a position of power in society, who is respected as such. Yeah. So, I, and like I said, it's a good article. It makes a lot of valid points, and that was really my entry into the world of horror theory. Yeah. But I don't necessarily agree with it all. No, no. Um, see, it was my entry as well, but um, I... I, I get what you mean, because she does spend a lot of time building up that kind of final girl archetype that is so prevalent throughout modern yeah, I mean, horror cinema. And then she just goes, oh, it doesn't matter that she doesn't do this. I'm like, no, a, a proper final girl should do it on her terms. Exactly. If you, I mean, obviously we have really big examples that contradict that. Like, Wes Craven deliberately created the character of Sydney in Scream to go against the final girl. She has sex. Mm. You know, she's she hasn't. You know, she's all these type of things that go against what Carol Clover's saying. And like you said, it's it's the archetype. Now we see it in slasher films all the time, even now. And it's kind of like at the same time, it's 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 always a man stalking a woman. We don't talk about in horror theory about like, okay, what about the time when men are being stalked? Like in Hostel. I know, yes, I know we've got the true. whole. I know we've got the whole torture porn thing, and that's a whole separate issue. I think. It's not when we don't say, well, you know, there's men killing men. There's there's Americans killing foreigners. What does that say? What is that trying to tell us about our society? Yeah. Now, no, we got caught up on, oh, it's so violent. It's so violent in a sexual way. Oh, the splits of blood are like porn. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, mm -hmm. we do get really stuck on poor little helpless blonde girl being stalked by a big man with a knife and she's going to, you know, man up and kill him. Mm. Why can't she have that strength from the beginning? I exactly. understand the journey is important for these horror characters because that's how you connect with them. But, I, you know... We're talking about the, films who are 30, 40 years old now. Yeah. I mean, do you know the one thing that I do love? And it, I've, I saw it, I've seen it recently, and I love it because it kind of rebuilds the final girl thing. Because I agree with, you know, we focus so much on, you know, the passivity of women in horror, and it's just like they allow things to happen to them rather than being active. Um, but then you, if you, have you ever seen Your Next? I haven't, you know. I really haven't. It, it is really worth it because the main sort of girl in it is a character called Erin, and she's an Australian. She's the Australian girlfriend of an American guy, and they all go into uh, him and his family go to like a family retreat thing in the woods, and they start getting hunted down by uh, masked killers. And Erin uses her survival skills to yeah. not only does she like save people she just carves the fuck out of the bad See, guy i mean she is yeah. heroic and she is amazing and it is that's so the thing. worth watching why is it when right okay i know there's a whole fight flight or f flight or fight thing but mm. you know if i was i was walking down the street like there's a garage around the corner from mine and i go there on my own all the time and there's a bunch of sketchy flats on the corner if i was walking down the road 
and some fella came out with with a knife. I wouldn't be all like, oh, no, don't hurt me. I would pick up the nearest fucking thing on the ground and smash his bleeding face in. Exactly. But it's in the horror films. It's like they have such a dilemma. Like, why doesn't that they either run or they're like, oh, I don't, I don't, should I get this weapon? Like, that's not, it's fight or mm. flight. You either run like you are fucking, like you are being chased by a mass murderer. Run for, like you are fucking Usain Bolt. Or pick something up and fucking hurt him because he's not going to stop. You can't, you can't, like, fucking... Yeah. Talk to these people and talk them down. He wants to kill you because he's a psychopath, and that's another thing. This whole idea of psychopathy on a film is is really scary. I mean, if you've read John Ronson's The Psychopathy Test, he talks a lot about the rehabilitation of psychopath that goes on in society. Mm. And my brother did um, criminology, and he did he studied the difference psychopathy and sociopathy. The only real difference he says is that sociopaths are made through something that happens. Psychopaths are born, and you can't you can't rationalize with them. You can't talk to them they don't understand and not every psychopath turns out to be a killer but when we're watching it in a horror film i don't want to see i don't want to know that okay so freddy krueger's the bastard son of a thousand maniac so fucking what i don't care it was much mm. more interesting in the beginning when i didn't know the halloween remakes for, to, oh uh, yeah michael Myers' mum was a stripper and he was beaten up I don't give a fuck. I liked it better yeah. when he was an innocent six-year-old child that scared me more than because it and it also just puts this kind of like this stereotype on people who do come from those types of homes, you know what I mean? Exactly. Not everyone's a bad fucking yeah. person. Like, American Psycho, Patrick Bateman, he had money, he was good-looking, he had a good life, and he was still twisted as fuck. Isn't that scary? Yeah. But we don't... We don't that, focus that's scary. Of Absolutely. course it is, but... You know... It's the, but it's the, need to, it's the need to explain. Exactly. It's the need to explain and rationalise something that can't that be That can't be rationalised. Exactly, and, and that's... That, that's the that's the crucial that's the key of it and but ironically enough what that does is make something less scary exactly. uh, and and the, by the by attempting to try and rationalize why freddy krueger does what he does you know to give him character and to and to make to increase the horror you're actually taking away because you know you're robbing him yeah, his, yeah like menace and his power because, because the... he isn't just a, a shadow in the corner of your eye no, he's, he's, he's real. Flash and, blood, it, and that's scared. Exactly. That's not as scary. That's the thing. In you know, in the real world, not everyone has fucking rational. Some people are just fucking crazy. Mm. Some people yeah. just do things because they have no impulse control, and that's a fact of life. And by ignoring that on cinema, which, where we should be able to explore these fears in a safe environment, it's just going. No, it's all okay. Everyone's got a reason. Not everyone has a fucking reason. There's not always a reason for the bad shit that happens to us. It's a it's a cool motive. It's still horrible things happening. You can't excuse yeah. it. No, exactly, but, you know, like I said, we can, I would like to talk more about the male gaze, and I'd like to talk more about mm. the final girl theory, and I'd like to talk more about slashes and monsters and everything separate, and yeah. I'm more than willing to do that if anyone wants to listen to my no, fucking ramblings on podcasts. I'm so tuning in for this. Yeah, I'd love to do, like, podcasts and stream, to be honest. Um, the best horror movies I've seen, so... I think, just... I was just going to wrap this section up with a few little points. To me, if you are, if you just, you know, you're starting to watch horror films and you would like, you know, a couple of films that you really, the classics, my suggestions would be, um, if you want to go really old school, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary is German, a German film from like 1921, I think, maybe 1920. It's excellent for the way it's shot. It looks fucked up. Really good introduction. Then you are talking about Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, 1968. Rosemary's Baby, Roman Polanski, 1968. Then you've got Halloween, which I believe is 1978, and that is John Carpenter. And then it might not be considered a classic by most people, but The Evil Dead. 
Sam Raimi in his finest 80s video nasty splatter gore. It's just, it's, they're my top picks for the classic horror film. So I'd like to wrap up by asking you guys, what's your favourite scary movie? <laughs> I have three I can't decide on. Go on, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow okay, it. They're all joint, but for different reasons. So I'm going to write these down. I'm going to do a poll at the end when I okay. finish this and find out what came out on top. Go on. Okay. Um, one of them is Attack the Block. Oh my god, I love Attack the Block. Because it deconstructs oh, horror so and it changes it up and it's brilliant. It. Who I, I, I didn't it. feel any. I fucking loved Attack the Block. I thought I was street for about three weeks after that. Yeah. I well, do you know that. one thing is that you were talking about, oh, you know, the fight or flight thing. That is one thing I do love about that film. In that yeah, you, do, you, do you remember the 14 teenage girls when they get attacked by the thing? Yeah, they. They can handle the shit better than the boys. They are just like, yep, let's just kill it. And they just go for it. And I'm like, that is the sort of message you want in the, yeah, you can be girly and feminine and that sort of thing. Exactly. They will fuck you up with an ice skate. They will kill you if you try anything. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm in. I love this film. Um, so there's that. I I really like Psycho, so Hitchcock, because I'm a kind of Hitchcock fan. Um, and I really got into it when I was like 16, 17. And uh, yeah, because that's the first... That, well, it's not the birth of the slasher film, because that was Peeping Tom, I think, in 65, 64. It, it depends, yeah. I mean, Psycho came out... When, what year was Psycho? Was it... Was it 68? 60. 60, 60 yeah. yeah. 60. It's based on... Psycho's based on the crimes of Ed Gein in a roundabout. Well, the same way the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on well, a true story, it's based on Ed Gein. Well, yeah, I mean, and Psycho is actually... Well, yeah, Psycho's based on a book which was based on... Which was, Yeah, it was the, the book about Ed Gein. Yeah, um, which the, book's, the, the book's even more messed up. Because um, oh, Ed Gein was fucked up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ed Gein. That's to be a special kind of fucked up to make like a bowl of nipples and shit like that. Imagine having oh, made some no. nipple, oh, nipple, well, <laughs> nipple chips. Get them the heart, They're lovely. Well, that's it. Just... Life of Brian there for anyone who is listening to me. <laughs> I'm so happy with that. The Life of Brian reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so there's cause I, I, lo- I love horror films. So it's Attack the Block, Psycho, and. This is a really recent one, and people might go, "Oh, it's not really a horror." It is a horror film. Is a Cabin in the Woods? <gasps> Loved it because it, again, it's a deconstruction of the horror thing. And because I got kind of obsessed with, because when I got Men, Women, and Chainsaws, I was doing my GCSEs and I just read it voraciously. And people thought I was weird, and I was like, "Oh, I don't care." Um, but it, I quite like it, and it completely deconstructs those archetypes that run throughout. Films that, if you look through, like, you know, Halloween, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Predator 13, all that sort of thing, the idea of um, if you have sex, you will be punished. If you're what they class as a whore, you'll be punished. You know, teenage trans directions, that sort of thing. And Cabin in the Woods just kind of completely inverts those things. And the idea of horror being a social entity is possibly summarised in my favourite scene from Cabin in the Woods, which is when the Japanese schoolgirls defeat the evil demon oh, by, by singing. singing. Yeah. I know, do you know, I love that because not only is it like, oh yeah, these girls managed to do all that without anyone's help, and then it's the pull back, and then you've got the two technicians, and one of them just screams, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, all the little <laughs> Japanese girls, I'm like, they didn't do anything, and yet I'm laughing because it's so funny. But uh, yeah, so I, I can never decide between those three, but I love them, so yeah. Tony? I've got two. My first one is The Shining. Oh, um, that's 
Yeah. Yes, right. That that's just like top of the list for me. It's one of my favourite films at all, really. Mm. Um, yeah. Because Stanley Kubrick is my favourite director. It's not my favourite Kubrick, but it's it's my favourite horror simply because it's. I watch it religiously every Halloween, and simply because it's <laughs> just. I love what I love about horror, and I I I think I love the chiller side of horror more than I do the actual horror gore kind of horror, because I get more mm. out of the the chiller side. I like I like not knowing what's really going on and if there's ever a film that you don't really know what it all means it's The Shining because it's it's a puzzle and it's a puzzle that you every time you watch it you see something new or you you look at something in a different way and it never quite adds up and that's the whole point it doesn't quite fully make complete sense and that's what's terrifying about it because it's it's dreamlike in many in many respects it's twisted and it's it's operating on a different level of reality and the the very fact that people have made documentaries about how room 237 sh- yeah that's so uh, good there's yeah and there are others about how the shining mm. has in- entire coded hidden messages about goodness knows what the f- that's all bollocks quite honestly the fact that, that people <laughs> can do that is amazing and yeah it's just it's the supreme you know um of, of that for me the other one for me along similar lines is the blair witch project because I just think that's again, it's for me the tr- true horror is what you don't see and what you imagine and what it does to the imagination. That's why I like the Babadook so much recently because it's um, it it's always it's always what you imagine is is going to happen to those people is worse than actually what would. And that's... with Blair with Blair Witch, that's the whole point in that you know you are left to imagine and hear and and. At the very ending, obviously, the very well-known ending, you don't know what happens to them, and that's mm. that's the point, and that's the scare. That's that's what scares me. Yeah, it's, it's like you said. It's it's you can always imagine something ten times worse. I would say after Babadook, though, I did walk around the house trying to make the noise, but the whole. Because what else are you going to do at two o'clock in the morning except scare the shit out of your brother? Yeah. Yeah, or, or your small child. <laughs> you know, he sleeps through anything, so it's fine. I'm not a bad mother yet. Plenty no, of time to ruin him later. <laughs> but yeah, those, those are my two. I would also give a shout out to Paranormal Activity as well, which is a much maligned mm. film. I really like the first one. The first, I love the first one. I the think... first one is brilliant. Do you know what? I watched the first movie when I was like, I was seven months pregnant with Freddie, and I watched it, and then <laughs> I kept waking my then husband up to take me to the toilet and we had an ensuite in our flat because I was absolutely fucking terrified. <laughs> About three days, I could not sleep. It was so... that It's that cold corner of your eye, blink and you'll miss exactly. it. And I really got That's this sense point. of this impending fear. Like, I really felt like this is getting worse. It's And as the, the activity built up on screen, I felt like my anxiety got higher and higher yeah. and I was almost like tensing up more and more. And it, yeah, I, I agree with that. I really do like paranormal activity. Um, come on, Ian, what's your favourite scary movie? Right, I have two. God, um, no one can answer a simple bleep. No, no, no. This one's actually Go cool. On. Um, first one is um, Dawn for Dead, as um, me and Tony did a yeah. podcast on that. Not so much scary, but just most entertaining of horror movies I've watched. Probably one called Pieces from like the 1980s. I'm guessing none of you have seen it. Pieces? It's, yeah, yeah, I've never heard of it. No, I mean, it's basically, um, it's lately was made in Italy and then redubbed into English because none of the dialogue makes any sense. 
It has a five-minute sequence where two people play tennis <laughs> over and over again. It has the red herring of a guy who the movie wants you to think is the killer, but he's 15 years too young because the movie starts 30 years ago. Uh, it has a gardener with full beard who randomly attacks people with a set of garden shears and then disappears completely. And the killer, for some reason, walks around wearing lipstick the entire movie. I, 1980s politics, I guess. But it's just the most terribly awful horror movie you've ever seen. But so entertaining because it's just so awful in every conceivable way. So, but Dawn of the Dead, um, it's not paranormal activity, but it, I, I like Dawn of the Dead, so I'm going to go with that one. It's like the best and Pieces is the worst that I enjoy. So. Awesome. The horror genre is a goldmine for shit-factor <laughs> films. Um, if you enjoyed Dead Meat, and let's face it, you probably did, um, and would like to hear more, you can go give Jumpscare a listen. They are on Twitter, at Jumpscare UK. They, are, they do horror, alternative, they're in alternative culture, do gaming, that kind of thing. They've Recently started, they've got a lot of followers. Podcasts every week, and they've got an upcoming Shark Week on 6th of July. So give them a follow. Mm-hmm. But I will be back in a few weeks as well, if you want. If you don't, tough, I'm coming back anyway. So, that's, <laughs> um, so that's all for this evening. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, if you want, at Crushinator2. You can send me abuse. You can tell Please me do. how awesome I are. What? I are, I are, I am weasel, okay? I am weasel. Um, (laughs) I would like to thank my guests this evening and give them a chance to hoard themselves out for you. Tony, pleasure as always. Listen to that in her voice, pleasure as always. (laughs) Where can people follow you? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah. If you're listening to us, you know about Black Hole Cinema on Twitter. Um, always, and we're on comment. Facebook. Yeah, and on Facebook, always comment. You know, tell us what you think. You know, tell us how much you don't like Emma and what she does. I hope listen. Yeah, it's fine. She won't, she won't listen. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, can you and, believe uh, I'm a queen? And that's it. Um, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. I'm probably going to get loads of abuse this week and I'll be crying going, I'm not doing it anymore, people are mean. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be going, they don't mean it. Um, they don't. People are bastards. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. There we go. A- alienate all our listeners, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I said people. People okay. who are listening to this are lovely. Good. Nice save. Um, you can find me at Black Hole Writer on, on Twitter. Um, so do hit me up. Yeah, and um, that's about the size of it. And thank you, Ian, despite the earlier demonic possession. It was nice to have you on the show. Cool. And people can follow you on Twitter at the Zedmore Show. I guess the actual one would be I underscore A, a underscore Austin. I guess that's the current one. But if they do, I'll just type random nonsense if they stop following me. So. Uh, yes, if you want some <laughs> random nonsense, Ian is... Head over to Ian and Chris, as always, my partner in crime. It would seem. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was a really that was a naughty giggle. <laughs> I always have so much fun on here. It's awesome. It's the best. Uh, yeah, you can follow me at higher underscore boy. I 
co-host the Fan Friction podcast with Mr. Tom East. We do all things kind of fanfic and uh, fandom and media, and yeah, we read disgusting things that people send us. So yeah, if you want your piece of absolutely degrading erotica read out, just send me a message and I promise that Tom will read it. So from all of us at Black Hole Cinema, thank you. And remember, just a bit of advice, if someone asks you, are you a god, you say yes. Good night. Mm-hmm.